Hey everyone, uh, just before we jump into the actual show, uh, a classic thing happened where we kind of shot the Cat Pick Fridays episode and then a few hours later the news dropped that NAM 2022 is getting moved to June of 2022. And we actually address uh, the NAM show quite a lot in the show, so it just made sense <laughs> to do this kind of uh, I don't know, this is a prelude or a trailer for the upcoming show. I don't know, something like that. We quickly want to talk about the implications of this decision by NAM, and then we'll jump to the show itself. And yeah, personally, this is actually kind of exciting news. Some people know that uh, we have a baby coming in our family in the, in a month or so, actually. And uh, you never know. What kind of baby will be? Maybe we'll sleep just fine. Maybe not, and all those kind of things add stress and like preparing for something like NAM, like getting sponsors and planning the travel and all of that. It's a lot of work and a lot of stress, and the fact that I don't have to do it now is pretty awesome. Plus, June would be an awesome time to go there, like timing-wise. Things kind of wind down in Finland at that point, anyway. For summer so that'd be great and yeah rich what are your initial thoughts on this my initial thought was what perfect timing because we literally filmed <laughs> our episode a few hours before this was announced and we did do a segment well we actually at the start of the show we talked about nam 2022 and we ended it saying fingers crossed it's gonna happen we think it can and of course, now we know that it can't and it's been moved to June. And I have mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, it's probably good in terms of COVID. You know, winter is more difficult than summer. They can probably make an event happen in summer. But there's a few things about it where it kind of makes me wonder about the implications. First off, it's going to be in Anaheim from June the 3rd to the 5th. So it's going to be hot. So for Europeans like mm -hmm. us, for the Finns, you guys are going to melt. So yes. there's going to be that aspect of it. It's going to be summer. And like you said, in Finland and also in Germany and in parts of Europe and in America, people will be starting to wind down for the summer. So I think that it's probably going to be peak Disney season and it's going to be kind of the times that you know, American school oh, kids true. finish school and college and stuff. So it's probably going to be a lot more expensive for people to stay there during that time. That's just a guess. That's just mm, my first kind be. of thought there. The other thing is that it's happening in June, so Summer Nam has been cancelled in Nashville, which I think probably makes sense. Summer Nam yeah. happened in 2021, but it was, by all accounts, a pretty sad affair. There weren't that many people <laughs> yeah. there, and yeah, I think they've probably taken the decision that to have them in one combined event in Anaheim is a good idea. But the other thing that I kind of noticed pretty much straight away that it is June the 3rd, 4th, and 5th, so that's a three-day show. And when mm. I think about it, if the same amount of people or roughly the same amount of people want to go to the NAM show next year, they're going to have 100,000 people across three days instead of four. So that could mean that it's even busier for people. I don't yeah. know if that's going to be an issue. I suspect that not that many people will go compared to previous years. But three days instead of four means, you know, more condensed people in the same spaces. Mm. I also wonder if exhibitors, companies like the one I work for, Blue Guitar, will have to pay for one day less of exhibiting costs. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. <laughs> That'd be a classic thing to do, like the same cost but less days. 
Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to the company thing, of course, as well, many, many companies have been building up to launch products in January at the mm. Winter NAM show, as they always do, including the company I work for, Blue Guitar, the Ampex, would have been scheduled to be released at Winter NAM 2022. Will we now release that product in January when, with no show? With no kind of publicity-rich mm. event happening in one place? I doubt it. That's something that we're going to have to talk a lot about over the coming days and weeks. But when I spoke to Thomas mm. briefly last night, he straight away said, well, this would give us six more months if that's what we wanted. So I can imagine that a lot of companies mm. will start to say, yeah, we'll, we'll think about releasing stuff over the spring and maybe at NAM itself. But, you know, not all companies can afford to wait six months. That's quite a long yeah. time. And the other thing is, I've just realized, by the way, I had quite a lot to say about this. <laughs> but the other thing is... <laughs> Um, it's going to be a question for me of how many companies decide that they still want to do the show at all. Mm. We were hearing rumors that some of the big boys were not going to be going to Winter NAM 2022 anyway. And it's like, well, if it's going to be happening in summer now, why don't we just coordinate our releases and do things the way we would normally do on our own? And we don't even need to bother with the show because realistically, what are we going to benefit from that? There is the whole buying and selling side, the whole industry you know, business, getting things done side, but in terms of marketing and launches and stuff like that, that's something else to think about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting to see, um, like, uh, is this a one-off thing, thing or will, for example, well, I, I've felt for a long time, like, based on what I've heard, the summer now was kind of dying anyway, or like, it was a way more smaller scale event, at least. And, I don't know. Does it does this mean that the NAM will now hap happen once a year in June, or will they move back to normal schedule next year? Who knows at this point? That's something interesting to follow. And something that I actually also noticed from the was he the CEO of NAM in the email all of us got. I think he's the CEO of NAM or something like that. Uh, yes, NAM president and CEO. He was like. He was mentioning like influences in his video as well, like all the influences gathering there as well. Like that was interesting. I guess they finally realized that there's a ridiculous amount of YouTube and social media people at those events as well. That was kind of fun. Yeah, if if you go to nam.org, anybody watching this, you can see the statement from Nam and you can see some quotes from people from companies in the business. We should leave a link to that in the description, Vlad. But yeah, there's a really yep. interesting part of the quote that Joe Lamond, the, the NAM president and CEO, mentioned. He says, you know, we couldn't do it in winter 2022, so we've moved it and we think this is going to be a great opportunity. And then he says, I imagine this gathering will have the kind of impact of a Beatles moment or the introduction of MIDI. <laughs> Definitely one you will not want to miss. So make of that what you will. I'm not sure it will quite be a Beatles moment, although there were some controversial and less popular Beatles moments throughout their career but true i really hope that it can be like that but yeah we wait and see we wait and see if it can even happen in june there are some nice quotes from people from a bunch of companies there so there's people from yamaha there's people from sure microphones there's people from zoom there's people from deering banjos there's people from hal leonard the music publishing company and the the boss of sweetwater also saying that this is a great thing 
So they've got a lot of company support already and hopefully there will be a lot more because uh, for me personally, I think yep. the NAM show is a great thing and it should continue to happen. Yep. True. Yeah. Personally, One final point. Oh. Yes, go ahead. So, sorry. <laughs> One other thing I wanted no, to say. You, you just mentioned it a little bit when you talked about influencers all being there. The other big aspect of NAM is musical performances and artists from the industry. Yeah. And June is going to coincide with festival season and outdoor gig season. So if there's any artists next year who have tours and are playing outdoor stuff and doing summer, you know, festivals, warp tour, you know, doing the festival circuit, they probably won't be able to go to this show because they'll be out doing business. True. But then again, we might have a chance to catch one of those festivals as well. So there's two sides to that. That is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Though we might, like, Rich and I have uh, kind of talked about maybe like attending like an NBA game. So at least, unless Los Angeles is in the finals or something like that, or like deep in the playoffs, that will probably not happen this or like upcoming year. So. No, exactly. Just it's a the random <laughs> side note. Yeah. Well, I always think about going to an NFL game as well. You know, at the end of January, yeah, you're always that well. you're in the playoffs. So it's the postseason. Yeah. You're almost Super Bowl time, and yeah, the midseason break runs. You know, from spring until about the start of September. So there won't be any NFL happening either. So. Oh, that's true. Shame in that respect. But shame. Yeah. What do you guys watching all think about Nam being postponed? Do you think it will happen in June? Do you think it's a good idea to move it or a bad idea? Please write your comments, and I think Vlad and I can discuss them next week and i think a lot of other people in the in the business in the industry will be weighing in with their opinions too so it's going to be a really interesting discussion and it's going to be really yeah. kind of exciting to see how this pans out and how it works for companies as well yeah yeah definitely all right so there's the kind of pre show notes now to the actual show have fun see you there in a second or two Well, hello there, Vlad here. Welcome to Cat Peak Fridays, episode 28. Had to cheat right away because I never remember the episode numbers, but it's 28. Once again, I'm joined by Mr. Richard Morgan. Hello. Hello, Vlad. Hello, podcast. It's a great day to be alive. <laughs> so you're doing that? No. <laughs> you misheard. No. Yes. It's the wind screaming hello podcast. Yeah, it's just a bit What's of delay up? from last week, I think. Not much. Yeah. I mean, I'm working quite hard at the moment. It's always a busy time for the industry. You know, we're thinking about sure. the NAM show quite a lot. It's like, can it happen? Will it happen? As we've previously discussed. And can we get our new product range ready in time? Always the crucial question. Man, yeah, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, as someone who's also like thinking about going to NAM, and it's something we've discussed offline. Uh, very, very difficult to figure out what's going on. Like, for example, in Finland, COVID situation is like going pretty well and i think we start like really opening up like in october or so so that's super exciting but being in finland versus traveling overseas 
and spending 10, 11 hours on a plane with other people is a bit different than just going to your like grocery store or visiting friends. So, man, I want to go, but, but, <laughs> tough decisions. Yeah, that the flight is kind of a scary prospect. So it's kind of the flights yeah. and also the physically getting into the USA at the moment because I don't believe that mm. anyone can just go to America right now. You have to be there for a certain business-based reason. You know, it has to be oh, I see. in some ways beneficial to the USA to have you there right now. So that could be tricky too. Interesting. It's like, yeah, tourists aren't really able to go there right now. And it's going to yeah. be a case of, yeah, can we go there? And will it be a case of, yeah, the NAM show counts as business, which is important enough to let us enter that country? I guess we'll find out. I mean, yeah. we'll also have to see how things go, you know, as winter hits, as it gets colder, as more people get sick, maybe, possibly. We'll have to see. We'll play it by ear. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it is, I guess. Uh, I just remember that I need to renew my passport because that was an issue in 2020 already. Uh, Possibly my also something my you passport, should do. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> it doesn't take long here, so that's good. But uh, last time, so 2020, January days, uh, when I traveled, my passport was like, there was like three months or so left. And I guess that's some, some sort of a red flag for like, border officials and such because I had to fill some extra forms because of that because my passport was only valid for like two months yeah that's always a problem yeah definitely get a new passport before you go yeah weirdly enough like I just filled the form where I kind of put in all of my data anyway and then they just let me go so I don't I'm not quite sure what it was but yeah need to do that definitely even if I don't go it's not expensive, and if it happens, then I'll just have the passport. But yeah, as I mentioned, like I'm also kind of planning all of this, and we'll see how it goes. There's there's a lot of ifs, sort of speak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually happen, yeah. but but it would be awesome. It would be really awesome. So it would be yeah. awesome, and if and there is a, any really chance that I can go, I will. Yeah, 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 and like. It still feels weird to be amongst a lot of people in general. Like uh, I mentioned last week that uh, I played at the church again and there was, well, like there's a hundred people, like capacity limit. And even that feels like, whoa, people, lots of people. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot of people right yeah. now. It's It's weird because we've been so isolated from everything for the past year and a half. And so these situations that we just totally took for granted before or were just completely normal, now they're just strange and hard to manage. And yeah. I think a lot, a lot of people sort of panic now when they're stood in a, a big line or when they go to a concert or a sports event or something. It's, it's yeah. bizarre, but we'll have to get used to it again. And yeah, hopefully we get to do that in person at the NAMM show. Fingers crossed. Yes, exactly. And before I forget... Thank you so much for watching, listening, subscribing, liking, commenting, asking the questions. Uh, for example, last week was great be because we got like an amazing comment on one of our previous episodes, and we got to like got more information and more experience about a product that we mentioned a couple of weeks earlier. So that was great. Like 
keep asking the questions, keep commenting the comments, and who knows, you might end up on the show as well. I'm actually maybe working on a system where you could, like, uh, for example, email us, which would give some people, like, the extra anonymity they might want to have to ask a question. So, yeah, I might be working on that, and I'll come back to you on this, hopefully, next week. So we'll see. And also, I want to remind you that this episode is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and what else? I always forget the timestamps. If there's a certain segment you really like, there's timestamps in the YouTube video and also in the description of the podcast. And today we're going to dive into some gear, some uh, pedal boards being revealed. Uh, I would put a question mark on revealed, but, you know... And we are also bringing in a new segment called Albums of Our Lives, which is a bit more personal touch. Each of us, every week, will share an album that has been like a huge thing for us over our music enthusiast years. Something like that. That's not a thing, but maybe it's a thing now. But enough of me babbling here and trying to remember everything that I need to say. Let's dive into recent happenings right away and talk about some Boz Waza Air things first. Yes, as I mentioned, Boss has just released, well, a few days ago, they released this Boss Waza Air bass headphones slash amp things. If you don't know what Boss Waza Air is, it's basically headphones that are using this kind of 3D audio modeling, what's it called? So like, for example, you can kind of place a virtual amp in a room and when you turn your head, like it still feels like it's like at a corner of your room, for example. And unfortunately, I, neither of us has yet to try these, but the concept looks really cool. And I've heard from a lot of people that that thing is, pretty damn amazing but also pricey uh i'm going to quickly scroll and try to remember the price yes it's 4.79 at thorwan that's quite a lot but then again this might be the ultimate practice tool for anyone who's living like in an apartment or just don't want to bother the rest of the family or anything like that so this is yeah, really cool yeah. Certainly a lot of money, isn't it? 479 euros. It would actually, it's it would have to be the ultimate practice solution for people to pay that kind of money, I think. Yeah, they call it 3D spatial audio, don't they? The special yeah. kind of yeah, well, so. spatial effect that they have. And it's kind of like, imagine that you're, you've got an amp in front of you, you set it up, you start playing, and then you, you turn your head away. And it's as if the amp stays in the same physical location, even though you move. So it's a really cool concept. And it's very difficult to work out what these products are actually like without playing them in person. You know, I've seen a bunch of mm. different videos and I've heard people explain how cool the effect is, but also how it can be a little bit sort of gimmicky, but also just that these headphones sound great and they give you a great kind of response and feel compared to mm. some other modeling solutions that are out there. So in that sense, these sound really cool, but... Yeah, as always, a couple of questions. The price, why is it £120 or euros more expensive than the guitar version? That's an interesting oh, question. Oh, that's true. Uh, that, that 
feels unfair, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're being penalized <laughs> for being a bass player. I know. We should support bass players. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's something to do with they had to design extra special different low-end frequencies for these headphones, which required more Could be. technology in the in the headphones themselves. I don't know, but it just seems a bit odd. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's also like this feels one of those uh, products that I've I kind of think a lot of people don't buy these by looking at them on a website. But when you try these, I think that's when a lot of like the buying decision will happen. Because yeah, I agree. For seventy nine, I can get a lot of stuff for that money. Even for like, for me, this is the kind of product that you stuff. see at the airport. When you go through security and they have those weird <laughs> electronic shops that offer strange yeah. gadget, gadgets like remote control cars or like weird charging devices that you can use on the plane. And this could be the perfect thing for that. Should there be a bass player who's traveling with their bass on board, which you should, of course, you should never check the instrument in if you can help it. And if they might want to consider, for example, getting a second seat and practicing a bit of bass with these headphones, that would be probably an amazing experience. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's actually videos out there of people using the Waza headphones for guitar on a plane. That rings some kind really? of bell in my head. So that must be that must be something which is out there. And if it's not, someone needs wow. to do it. So go for it if you've got a pair of Waza headphones. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out whether it's like my dream scenario to be able to do that, or like whether it's like my worst nightmare where somebody like next to me sits and like jams for the fourth for the whole like ten hours. We're flying to LA. <laughs> yeah, that would be a nightmare. I have mixed feelings about. Yeah, that, I have mixed <laughs> feelings about that, especially because like on half of the f long flights I've had, uh, like the headphone jack for like watching movies doesn't work properly. So like, yeah, you either like have to like uh, just settle for like watching something on your phone you've kind of downloaded there earlier, or you. Have to listen to someone jamming on the same damn riff all the time for the next ten hours or so. I don't, I don't know. Or you do what I'm old kind of leaning towards like having some sort of take a book. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I just I suck at reading as like any moving, like car, bus, train, and all that. Like even the subtle movements kind of cause me notion. No, nauseating feelings, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Just have trouble reading on a movie. Yeah, uh, interesting. I have that in cars, but not on planes. And on trains, mm. it's kind of in the middle. So on planes, I'm good to read. That, so that's nice. Although if you can watch movies, I think that's always better. But anyway, we digress slightly. Don't do that base thing. <laughs> Just... Do it for a crazy viral video, maybe. Make that on a plane and, and don't annoy everybody else who's trying to rest or or do some work yeah. on the flight or whatever. Leave them be. But yeah, back to the Waza Air bass headphones. I would love Finally. to try these, but I think also that it's like a case of these coming out in COVID will make them very difficult to test as well. How do you test headphones mm. in a pandemic? <laughs> That's true, by the way. Didn't think of that angle, but yeah. I kind of don't want to try this out with everyone else. 
I do have one more question about them too. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page that you're looking at, Vlad, you can see the product Mm. price there, 479 euros. And you can also see that you can buy a little case or bag for them separately for another 29 euros. You would think for that much money for the headphones themselves that they could throw that cheapy bag in as part of the parcel, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they're selling it for 29... It would cost it would cost them nothing, you know, five or ten extra maximum to add to the product price. But they could throw it in for nothing yeah. when you're paying almost five hundred euros for a set of headphones. For me, that's a yeah, bit of that's a, the thing. Like, that's a bit cheeky. Yeah, like my orange headphones. Those are the wired ones. They have like uh, wireless ones as well. They cost like seventy nine euros, and they come with like spare different kind of cables you can use like one's longer one's shorter and you can use it with like uh, one has like a microphone as well and it comes like what that kind of like case as well sorry That's i'm good. sneezing i'm not ill uh, i promise <laughs> yeah well i i don't think it i can catch it over the internet i hope we're not there yet no hopefully not Imagine that, though, yeah. if you could catch uh, it through the, through the powers of the internet. That would suck. That would suck a lot. But, yeah, like, it feels very pricey. Like, uh, as I mentioned, I've heard great things about the guitar versions of these. And, again, what, what did you say? Are they, like, almost 100 euros cheaper than the base ones? Well, in this article, it says they're 120 pounds cheaper, and I checked the prices online, what? and they are about... They're about 350, 360, and the base ones, 479, Whoa. 480. So that's a, a big price difference. And I would really like to know yeah, what so, the reasoning for that is. Yeah, because this way, the headphones plus the case is 510 euros. You can buy like a base and a very decent base combo with that money. Yes, absolutely. So, so you've really got to want to choose these headphones as a specific yeah. solution over other things. I mean, of course, for 360, for the guitar version, there are, you know, you can buy amps for 350. You can buy modelers. You can buy sure. quite a lot for 350 as well. But, you know, coming close to 500, that's that's a much bigger investment, in my opinion. Yeah. Interesting. If, if you who are watching or listening have either the guitar version of these headphones or the base version now. We would love to hear what you think. What made you buy those? And yeah, would you actually like recommend them? Because I would love to try this out, but during the pandemic, trying out headphones, 100 other people have tried, doesn't feel like a good idea. Especially like my family has been sick for the past week or so. Right? So somehow I, I, I'm still doing okay, but... Yeah, I, I don't want anything like that right now in my life. I actually don't think there's any moment when I want that in my life, but especially right now. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. And again, maybe my mind changes right away when I get to try these. I'm like, okay, yeah, this makes total sense. I would definitely pay the 500 euros for these, but we'll see. Yeah, interesting yeah. thing. I mean, definitely something to try out if we can at the NAMM show, for example, but it fe- yeah. it feels to me like it's going to be a hard sell at that price point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely feels like that. 
But let's move on to the next thing. PSP announces the new Alexi Laiho. That's how you pronounce it. It's not Alexi Leo. It's Alexi Laiho. Learn to pronounce as Finns do. Finish lesson number one today. Yeah. Uh, Alex is, of course, known for his band Children of Bodom. And like just before his passing, he passed uh, in December 2020, I think. Or like early this year, very early this year, for from like he had a medical issue, and yeah, he was very respected guitar player like all over the globe, very well known as well. And I think his ESP signature model slash LTD signature model is probably like one of the top three sellers of all time for ESP. I'm go- I'm I don't have oh, really? the data to back this up, but. Those guitars okay. sold like crazy in like two, early 2000, 2010s. Like they were everywhere. So, yeah. I don't, this looks a little bit so, different from the previous. Yeah. Go ahead. Are you familiar with his signature series? Have you played the previous models? And is this something that you would buy this new one? Uh, I am familiar. Uh, I was pretty close to buying one in my like true heavy metal teenage years. Uh, so like 2005, maybe something like that. I would be what 2005. I would be like 16, 17 at that point. I think. Yes, I think that's how math works. I was like really close to buying one of the LTDs. So, but then I d- didn't buy one because everyone else had one of those like you could see these guitars in like church bands and everywhere <laughs> so yeah uh these actually um, look a bit more like the jackson signature he used to have or like he f- first played jackson guitars again a v-shape that looked a bit like this and now they came out with an esp and ldd versions yeah, I don't know. Somehow it looks a bit more like Jackson. I think maybe I just remember it wrong, but the older one was like a slightly smaller body. And speaking of which, like some people know that I have the Jazzmaster project going on and I go to a local luthier to build it every few weeks or so when I have time. And last time I was there, like one of these types of guitars were there for, was there for repairs. Because as you can see on the pictures, like there's really long like upper horn and like the lower horn and i think like 30 percent. this is just my like guesstimation like 30 percent of all the guitar luthiers in like two between like 2005 and 2010 like probably like 30 to 50 percent of their repairs were like fixing people's guitars who had like ltds and esps that they had hit when trying to do the alex lajo tricks with their guitars and hit those corners into like a wall or a chair anything like that and there were always cracks or like a horn would break or anything like that because yeah, I, I saw totally so many repair yeah, yeah because I saw so many repair shops like fixing those <laughs> like repairing those <laughs> yeah I've never played one of these kinds of guitars but we've talked about it previously I've played Explorers before and yeah when sure. you turn around you, you hit stuff and <laughs> If you're unlucky, you, you break stuff, you crack stuff. But yeah, these guitars, they, they have kind of a white sort of 
almost arrow chevron type design on it almost looks like they're pre-broken mm. so the first time you smash it on the top <laughs> horn that first bit down to the white line will break off the second time the next bit will break off and then you're down to the minimum part of the body there so i quite like that so it's kind of, kind of like a puzzle guitar just like you could take off the different horns yeah exactly it's nice. be a, they're, they're very, very expensive very these idea. guitars by the way i've just seen the prices yeah, it's kind of hard to avoid uh, the feeling of like ESP is kind of taking, in a way, taking advantage of his death, I guess. Because like... You think? Okay. In the past, the cheapest models were like 400 or $500 or so. Mm. These are like, like 5800 2500 and 1600 That's Yeah, a lot I of mean, 5800 is... The you know the handcrafted version, sure, but that's well you know five thousand eight hundred. You're up in whatever you want territory. You're up for a custom built yeah. luthier thing. You're up for a, a Gibson custom shop model if you want. You're up for you can buy vintage guitars for that much money. But in terms of the metal realm like this, because this is obviously very much a metal guitar, I can't think of that much else off the shelf which is going to cost about this much money. This is one of the most expensive mm. guitars I've seen in that genre. And I think for that, this money, you could get like a custom shop Jackson's as well, or like a local luthier would build you one of these as well for that money easily. And you can customize everything on it. Obviously, it won't be like an Alex Lyo signature, but still, uh, I don't know. ESP seems to know their audience though, so I'm guessing there's a market for this and like I bet this will sell. Especially because this will probably be like depends on what kind of deal they have with the Alex Lyhop estate, I guess, at this point. Like this might be the last one of his signature model. Or maybe not. Not sure. They're still selling Diamondback Daryl guitars as well, so hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. This just makes me sad. Like, I wasn't a huge, huge Children of Bottom fan or his new band whose name I just, I forgot the name, but yeah, he had a new band as well going on. Like, he was a, like in a metal genre, he was one of the few like unique guitar players, both like composi composition wise and also like the way he played and the kind of riffs he created and stuff like that. And it was really cool to have like that kind of guitar icon coming from Finland and being respected by like just everyone. So, yeah, exactly. He was yeah, one of the the true icons of that that niche, that genre. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it says in the article that we're looking at that he was working with the company on these guitars before his death. But yeah, now they're out nine months later and. People mm. are going to have to stump up a pretty hefty amount of cash to to get one, unless they go for one of the more mass-produced versions. But it's going to be really interesting to follow this, and we hope that ESP Ltd can do kind of justice to his legacy with these guitars and not do anything yeah. kind of exploitative of the fact that he's no longer with us. Yeah, definitely. All right, moving on to something else. Full Fighters... Uh, <laughs> Metal Bolts Revealed, I guess. It's one of these slightly clickbaity articles 
but yeah, basically, Foo Fighters. Hey, at least, it, Chris, at least, it's, at least it's not a list. The top three Foo That's Fighters true, pedal boards of all time by Music Radar. <laughs> That's the way they possibly could have done it. Don't, don't give them ideas. They might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I take that back. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Chris Schifflet, so one of the guitar players from the band, has shared some details of, or like just pictures of touring pedal boards and see if I can make the pictures bigger. So the first one is his own pedal board. And this is quite something. Uh, everyone watching the show on YouTube, you can see the photo. This is a pretty big pedal board, I'm going to say. And also there's like this kind of funky looking switching system for all of his pedals. Seems like custom made switches. Everything. Custom made MIDI switches, yeah. Because uh, he's this is a big board. Hey, yeah. I, I just noticed, is there a clone on this pedal? The one on the right? There is. That is a clone KTR right there. Ha-ha. So there you Interesting. go. That's so, Fool Fighter Stone. Yeah, this is, this is a hell of a board. I'm just trying to count the number of pedals. So we've yeah. got a, a Pog, Octiva, up on the top left. There's two rows two and a half rows of pedals. You've got the POG, and then next to it is the JHS Muffaletta. So that's all different kinds of Big Muff in one pedal. Then we've got yeah. an MXR. What is that MXR? Flanger. MXR Flanger, I which I'm unfamiliar Flanger. with. I'm guessing the next one yeah. is the MXR Phaser, because it looks like the Van Halen design. We've got a Holy yeah. Grail EHX Echo. Then we've got a tiny little box which is actually housing a lamp for the pedal board a pedal board lamp so it's actually not a pedal (laughs) (laughs) then we've got the jhs vcr which was the ryan adams signature pedal which was removed after ryan adams was involved in some controversy a couple of years ago that pedal still exists but was renamed and the branding with ryan adams was removed there's a clone ktr by the way i have to quickly sorry Sorry, I have to quickly also mention that Ryan Adams was like, what's the word, like, cleared of all the accusations sometime later, actually, I think. Yeah, I mean, unless I, it, it's yeah. always controversial to talk about this kind of stuff, but sure. yeah, he was, he, he was, you know, he did some stuff which I guess could be seen as being regrettable, and I don't think we should go into the politics or anything like that, that's not what this no, show no, is no, for, no, but yeah, he, not, but... he was one of those people who was accused of stuff stuff happened you can read about it on the internet if you wish to and he's you know Mm. lost his association with jhs pedals and he seems to have been not that active as a musician since which purely from a musical perspective is very sad because he was and is an incredible musician and made some amazing Mm. records but there Uh, we go let's let's yeah i'm a big leave that to the side of his music so yeah 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 definitely (laughs) all right back to the pedals Yeah, back to the board. So after that, we've got the Klons KTR on the right. And on the middle row, we've got some interesting stuff. We've got a Boss Wazza CE2W chorus pedal. And then we've got two Strymon timelines, if I'm seeing that correctly. Oh, that's true. Two Strymon timelines. And one of them is labeled Friedman, and one of them is labeled AC30. And there's an AB switcher ah. elsewhere on the board and another switcher labeled AC30 and Friedman. So we can assume that he's using a two amp setup. He's got an AC30 and some kind of Friedman amplifier and he's just got effects which run through one of the amps as opposed to 
you know, as opposed to the other. Mm. So there we go. Yeah, and then there's a Lely switcher for the two amps there. TC electronic polytune pedal, another switching device, and down on the bottom row we've got a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 button, what looks like a custom-made MIDI switching device. It might not be, but it looks very cool, very functional. Next to it is an EP booster, a Boss FS5L switcher, an SP distortion or boost pedal, which is made by the same company as the EP booster. Exotic effects. I'm not yep. really sure what the SP does. And then there's a, well, is that a volume pedal? Could be a wire. I'm not sure. There's not a lot of wire in the Foo Fighters, except in. I'm going to guess it's actually a wire pedal. So there are some solos with, yeah. And I think he's the, he pretty much plays most of the solos in the band anyway. So I'm gonna, I would say it's a wire pedal. Yeah, okay. I can remember this. Like, yeah. Immediately remember one song with a what in the lead. So, yeah, okay. But yeah, massive board, lots of pedals. Very impressive. Yeah. The kind of thing you would expect a guitar player in a band like this to have. Mm. In my yeah, opinion, so anyway. So this pedal board to me is like, yeah, for me this pedal board is like a good mixture of like switchability, but also kind of having like a hands-on feel, so to speak. Because the switcher he seems to have is like a loop switch in a sense, like you turn on one of the buttons on the switcher and then it kind of puts that pedal in the loop and then it takes it out. So there's, I'm guessing there's no like presets or anything like that. It's just like makes his life easier so he doesn't have to tap dance as much at least during a live set. Uh, then there's also like a pretty big patch bay going on on the like top right side of the pedal board as well. There's like A, B, something, switches, switches, switches. So like when he arrives to like a gig place, he just put the cables into the, right cables into the like patch bay, sort of speak, and then you're good to go. So that's really cool. I've actually had yeah. something like this as well. Like not, not to this extent by no means, but like I've had this kind of manual switches. Like, uh, and that was before I started to sing in a lot of the live sets. Once I started doing the singing part, I kind of gave up on all of this. I just don't have the full accuracy or time to like hit several buttons for the next section of the song and sing at the same time or get ready for my harmonies or anything like that. So <laughs> I don't think he sings in the band though, so he might have a bit more time to do this. I'm pretty sure he does backing vocals, doesn't he? I mean, I know he's oh, got his be. own projects yeah. where he where he does lead vocals, and he's a great singer. Oh, his own stuff is kind of true. like much more sort of southern rock, bit countryish. He's very, very good. I like mm. him a lot. He's a, he seems to be a really top guy and a great player. Yeah, yeah. From this pedal board, I wouldn't mind getting any of these pedals. Like, I can approve all of them. I'm actually interested to like. Would love to know where in the Foo Fighters repertoire he's using the Pog. Is this shifting up or is, is he shifting down? The only is he adding like an octave where, That's tricky to think of. The only song I can think of where they're playing in a really low tuning or anything like that is Stacked Actors. But as far as I remember, oh, that's true. That is just a standard guitar with the low string tuned down to an A. And I remember that because that was on the 
There Is Nothing Left to Lose album. And that was one of the first tab books that I ever had because I loved that record. Oh, really? and I loved the, the guitar stuff on that record. Yeah. Yeah. So that was down to A. I can't off the top of my head think of any real octave stuff that they do. Maybe he's recreating like an organ mm-hmm. sound or something. I also have to say that the last probably 10 years, I haven't really listened to any of the newer Foo Fighters stuff. <laughs> so, you know, it's possible that yeah. they've done a song in the last decade which features octave effects. Perhaps someone watching this can tell yeah. us because it's definitely something we yeah. should listen to. Yeah. Like, I've, like, over the past 10 years, like, I've liked a couple of songs from each of the albums. So, like, I think, but, but, but then again, to me, Foo Fighters has always been a band where they have, like, few amazing, amazing songs on the album, but there's very few, like, albums, albums I, like, absolutely love. But when you see them live, they have so many hits to play that who cares? Yeah, it would be the same for me as well. I mean, I love a couple of their early records. There Is Nothing Left to Lose is probably my favorite. And the debut and the one in the middle, the name of which I've forgotten right now, but the one with Doll and Monkey Wrench to start it, that's a great record too. But yeah, yeah, the sad thing about the Foo Fighters is I used to in my kind of earlier days of being a very arrogant kind of music snob, I used to accuse bands that I previously liked and had gone a bit more mainstream of just turning into like a Foo Fighters ripoff. So I used the Foo Fighters as being like a generic rock kind of version that good bands could turn into if they wanted to get more successful, which in a way is a backhanded compliment. And, you know, the Foo Fighters were and are incredibly successful for a reason. They write great songs. Yeah. But back in the day, I was a little immature idiot. And that's what I used to say. But there we go. Just going back <laughs> into the article, by the way, I can tell you that that wah yeah. pedal is indeed a wah pedal. And it's by Exotic Effects. It's the XW1. Oh, and he's go. using the SP compressor and the EP booster, which is his favorite boost pedal. Ah, that's what the compressor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't realize uh, the SP was a compressor for some reason. Yeah, uh, I just quickly browsed the rest of the article and realized like that this was the high point point of the pedal boards uh, out of the three. Because if we move on to Dave yes. Grohl's pedal board with this uh, blurry picture we have over here, uh, it's not exactly as fancy as the one we just saw. There's like a Boss uh, TU2 or TU3 MXR. That's probably a flanger as well. I think it's a Phase Ninety, isn't it? Yeah. Then there's... It's a blurry MXR orange uh, pedal. It's orange, so it must be a phaser, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, Then there's two Boss digital delays. I think that's DD3. Uh, One's set up in one way, and the other one says Aurora, so that might be for just one song. Yeah, it's for the song uh, Aurora, which is also off the Nothing Left to Lose album, which has a very kind of... Very well for me, anyway, personally, an iconic delay intro on the guitar. And I guess that he needs that yeah. setting specifically for that because the repeats fall in time with the music. And yeah, he's got that one pedal yeah. for that one song. Why not? Especially, he still has a lot of room on the pedal board anyway. So, why not? Uh, then there's, yeah, I think that's the SP booster again. Oh, no, sorry, the, SP, the compressor, SP compressor. Yeah, yes, that's true. And then there's, uh, I think I'm reading Custom Audio Electronics uh, foot switch. Uh, I'm guessing that could be a MIDI switcher for amps. 
Yeah, but could also be just like a regular switch without the MIDI part. I'm not sure what Amps is using. Was there any mention in the article about that? I don't think so. No, there isn't. Yeah. But it's nice and simple. And I mean, he has to concentrate on vocals and just rocking out. So keep it simple, as Dave does. Yeah, and I mean, Dave Grohl as well, he does such an amazing show you know he's an incredible yeah. showman he's he's never just standing in front of his microphone doing stuff but you know when he's singing he's singing and when he's playing guitar he's moving around interacting with the crowd interacting with the other musicians i don't think he'd have time to be you know tap dancing around switching between different effects yeah and he also doesn't seem like a guy that he would have like someone on the back like back of the stage like switching for him or anything like that doesn't seem like Dave Grohl to me either. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, moving on to Pat Smear's pedal board. This looks very Pat Smear to me. Because he's like, yeah. as, he's a punk rocker. He's like a yeah, true exactly. punk DIY rocker. punk rock. Yeah, and this pedal board definitely looks like that. There's a, a Voodoo Lab po pedal power supply, polytune for tuning. Uh, the electro harmonics. What is that pedal? It's <clears throat> a neo clone chorus uh, pedal. Ah, I see. And there's a boss flanger. Uh, yeah, the BF3. Yeah, yeah. And that pedal is what looks like. Could it be a carbon copy? Yeah, it's the carbon MXR copy? carbon this... copy. Yeah, exactly. Is that uh, there's some sort of like. DI box? Is he playing like acoustic guitar or anything like that in the live set as well? Why does he need a DI box? It would depend on what they're mm. playing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they have a bunch um, of acoustic then songs. There's and there's a acoustic Mastermind LT switch, and that's definitely a MIDI switcher. There's a MIDI cable running from it. Yeah, that's a MIDI switcher, so, yeah. Again, there's a, a lot of space on that pedal board. It kind of looks like he had yeah. recently had other pedals on it and they got ripped off for some reason. Yeah, there's excess cables on the board, I think. So keep it simple. I mean, we don't know how simple or not simple stuff is after this MIDI switcher. So maybe there's... Some sort of like amp switching going on. Is he switching between amps or is he switching channels on an amp? Anything like that? Uh, I assume he's switching I between don't think amps because I think they all have multiple amps. And by the way, I <laughs> just Googled very quickly the the SGI44, which is the radial box on the top left corner of the board. And just according yep. to the radial site, the SGI44 is a line driver for guitars and basses that connects to the JX44 to allow a remote pedal board to be connected without signal loss or noise. Oh, really? So that's what he's doing there. It's not It's not a DI. It's not for any acoustic-y stuff. Ah, yeah. So it like, makes sure the signal goes to the pedal boards properly. Or from the pedal yeah, board exactly. to the amp To reduce noise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so some sort of like buffer slash impedance thing. Cool. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. They play huge arenas and the cable runs are pretty crazy. So, yeah. I guess, the, like, look, seeing these uh, would, like, it would be awesome to combine that with, like, knowing what the amp setups are 
because then we would get the whole picture of like how huge or how simple that production is. I'm guessing it's fairly huge because it's a big band and like they need to sound huge as well. So there's probably like everyone has multiple amps going on and stuff like that because that's how you get a huge sound. But yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. start with three guitar players and, you know, a lot of the <laughs> yeah. time they're playing without lead stuff going on. There might be a rhythm guitar being doubled by two guys or playing different variations or fingerings thereof and uh you know like an octave chords lead thing going on but they create an absolute wall of sound yeah yeah they're a great live band to see it's been many years since i've seen them play live but they were they were amazing i saw them in uh, i'm gonna say 2014 or 15 could have been 16 so somewhere in that vicinity don't quite remember remember but uh i love loved it but uh the act before them was biffy clyro who are ridiculously who good are musicians one of the bands who i accused of turning into the foo fighters light when they signed their major <laughs> deal after their third record and started making there you go. tracks there that you sounded go. like the foo fighters yeah one of my favorite bands of all time previously, Biffy Clyro. So they were supporting. <clears throat> but in 2014, they would have already been doing their more kind of, yeah, I hate to say it, generic rock stuff. Without the weird time yeah, signatures, well, without the proggy composition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I jumped that, like I joined the fan club way later. Like I didn't know the early punkies and anything like that. And actually like kind of ignored them when they were like heavily played on the Finnish radio as well. I think I just found them like a few years ago. So, yeah. yeah. But basically what I was trying to say is like, they are so incredibly tight as a band that songs are pretty fast tempo, even the newer stuff most of the time. And like seeing that and then immediately transitioning to Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters felt like an old grandpa band at that point because it would go with the <laughs> mid-tempo songs, dun, da, dun, da, dun, uh, bef before like all of the super fast and way more technical stuff that Biffy Clyro presented. <laughs> I kind of almost swapped the two bands around, but obviously Foo Fighters was the main act on that festival. So yeah, I still enjoyed it a lot. It was awesome to see them at least once. And also, like, Michael Monroe, who's like a Finnish rock legend, who's been featured in on Guns N' Roses albums and a bunch of other stuff. Like, he joined the stage for a long time during their live set, and that was so, so cool. Mm -hmm. So, that was awesome. Yeah. I, I want to see the amps now and the guitars. We need the full rundown. This is not enough. We need more. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel when we see like we're being withheld in, like from information that we would really want to see because yeah is, definitely this vital information yeah like how many guitars they have per guy like do they swap guitars for every song or for just some songs or what's going on yeah it's funny know. but there have been rig rundowns and similar articles with the Foo Fighters but <laughs> I don't think there's one which is up to date for 2021 or anything like that. And if you go back to 2019, Chris Shiflett's board, for example, was totally different and he was using different amps. Mm. So 
we need to know what they're doing now. In terms of guitars, it would also be really interesting because Dave Grohl, of course, yeah, he's pretty much a Gibson man. He has his signature DG-335s, which I absolutely love. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. But they're pretty much out of reach of the, the normal player because they're very limited. He played or plays Explorers as well. And Chris Schiffler mm. has his signature Fender Telecaster Customs, which also look like amazing guitars and tick almost oh, yeah. all of my boxes for getting one, but I never have. And I know that Pat Smear plays Framus a lot. I believe he might have had a signature mm. Framus, but I'm not sure. Maybe you know? Yeah. Uh, but, I don't remember him, seeing him on the Framus artist roster, but I'm not too well familiar with that either, so... Might be, I might be wrong. But yeah, I think Chris also, like, he, he kind of mixes it up. He has his signature Fender, but I think I've seen him playing Les Pauls and 335s as well. And uh, Pat also has all of these interesting guitars. Like, I think he plays a baritone quite a lot in the band as I well. I got it wrong, by the way. It wasn't Framus, it was oh. Hagstrom. I knew it was something ah. like that. So apologies yeah, to Hagstrom. Yeah, they definitely kind of look similar. Like the similarities at least, like when it comes to the design, so. Yeah, exactly. But as you were saying, yeah, he does often play a baritone guitar, doesn't he? Hmm. That's how they get the huge sound. Yeah, exactly. Very cool band. But yeah. Bit generic. Yeah. <laughs> but very cool. <laughs> oh, come on. No, that's but just a joke. But are they generic because they kind great. of created that genre? Like are they, are, they, are they generic because of that? That's that's also the question. Like, yeah, you you could say that in a sense they are generic because they conform to this one genre. But you're right in that they did almost create that kind of music themselves. They were they were <laughs> one of the innovators for this kind of modern stadium yeah. rock sound. So, yeah, all credit to them. I think they're they're great. What would be amazing yeah. would be if you could somehow have them play a concert for you and pick your own greatest hits set because they've got so many great songs. Mm. And I think if you went yeah, to a gig a... of theirs, you'd probably be disappointed that they didn't play three, four or five of the ones you really wanted to hear because they have so many massive hits. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that that's the thing, like there's a few songs here and there on their albums I don't, where I don't think they play those live that much, but I would love to hear them live. That would be just so cool. Yeah. I guess. So, yeah, totally agree. Let's jump to the next thing. Bill Finnegan, who's the, the designer of Clone Center, uh, has taunted a possible live stream. Oh, actually, that happened, and this is where I let you take over. You watched the stream, right? I didn't watch the live stream. I caught up with it oh. actually this morning before we were filming today, which is Wednesday. And he ended up doing the live stream last night, which was Tuesday, September the 7th. He had originally yes. um, scheduled it for the 3rd of September, my birthday. Coincidence? I think not. But he postponed it, unlike my birthday, and... He postponed it then again for Tuesday, the 7th of September, and it ran, it happened. And I think a lot of people were very excited to hear what Bill Finnegan, creator of the legendary, iconic Clon Centaur and KTR pedals, would have to say. And as we've seen just from the previous thing that we did with the Foo Fighters, bands as big as the Foo Fighters feature this guy's 
overdrive pedals on their pedal boards. So he's, you know, he's one of the godfathers of modern day overdrive. And I think when we talk about the most legendary types that there are, the Clon Centaur is always up there. And everybody who is everybody has made a clone or a, an homage to that pedal. So we know how good they are in that sense. But anyway, so Bill Finnegan has been making these pedals since the early 90s. He now, or in recent years, has been building the Clon KTR, which is a more a smaller, more pedalboard-friendly version of the pedal. And they do that thing, that Clon sound, which many guitarists know and love, which is anything from a thick, pushed, clean sort of a tone through to pretty mid-range, almost high-gain crunch. And they thicken up and fatten up a signal, and the original clones had a, a buffered bypass circuit. The KTR, you can choose between true or bu- buffered bypass, and people just said that it gives some kind of magic sprinkle of tone to your sound. So anyway, that's the Clon Centaur pedal. And he did a live stream, and that was kind of special because Bill Finnegan has never really been seen that much in public in recent years. He's not a, he's not a public person in any way. He's very private. And he didn't show his face in this live stream or anything. So he had a friend of his who was playing guitar for him during it, but he didn't show his own face. And because of all this, people were kind of thinking, what's he going to announce? What's he going to say? What's the cool thing going to be? And there was one kind of announcement, but the rest of the live stream in a way was a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a letdown, but it was just a little bit kind of, it was very normal comparing to what our (laughs) expectations probably were. So it's a 35-minute live stream, and the first 10 minutes, it just says the stream is going to start. Then it starts, and you hear him talking, explaining a few different things, and you don't see his face, so it's a bit a bit weird. Just a close-up of some of his pedals on like a, a dirty concrete floor. And um, he makes a couple of comments about a few different things. For example, I don't know, about how, for example, Josh Scott from JHS was trying to sell the 002 serial number clone for $500,000, which was obviously a joke, but it doesn't seem like (laughs) Bill Finnegan thought it was a joke. And then he kind of, he lightly criticizes people who do pedal demos and put everything at 12 o'clock because of the tolerances of POTS. You know, POTS have a 10% tolerance or whatever so Mm. 12 o'clock on this one might not be 12 o'clock on this one so he has a bit of a word about that he also then talks about people preferring true bypass pedals over buffered bypass and the other way around and now talks about how lots of people seem to prefer buffered bypass and he says that the clon is almost always better on buffered bypass mode it's even written on the ktr pedal by the way and then mm. he goes into some sound examples with the three pedals. So he's got one of his original Clon Centaurs and he's got two Clon KTRs and it sounds interesting. The guy playing guitar plays some kind of garage rock and roll sort of stuff and it, it sounds good and he tweaks the pedals to get them all to sound pretty much the same. And then finally, after about 27 minutes, he comes to his announcement, which is that he's finally run out of the NOS diodes that he uses to build his Clon KTR pedals. So he originally bought stocks of these NOS diodes back in the 90s, and finally he's running out. So what he's going to have to do now is change the clipping diodes in the new Clon KTRs. Bombshell, right? What a a huge thing. And then he goes on to say that, well, he had two Clon KTRs on the board in front of us that we've been hearing, and they sounded exactly the same, of course. 
and one of them has the old clipping diodes and one of them has the new clipping diodes. So there you are. That's That was the announcement. So I've probably just spoiled the live stream for anybody who was thinking of watching it, but watch it anyway and hear the sounds because it's quite interesting and it's it's very cool yeah. to learn a few useful tidbits of information from this, you know, legendary, iconic figure of the guitar pedal scene. And yeah, like I said, it was a little bit less spectacular than I expected it to be, but an interesting watch nonetheless. And if you fancy watching it this weekend, for example, go do it. If you like Klons, he's the guy to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole mystery around clone pedals and stuff like that combined, combined with this, I guess, like Mr. Bill Finnegan being quite elusive as well. It's a great marketing strategy, even if he's not doing that on purpose, I guess. Like very few things in like music or business are as mysterious as the whole clone sensor thing. And like, yeah, oh, I yeah. think naming it as a like a centaur is also a great, <laughs> adds to the mystique because like this mythical creature combined with this legendary pedal that some people say is complete joke and some, a lot of people say it's pure magic and nobody else can replicate it and yeah yeah it's, i don't know if it's, like if if this marketing is done on purpose it's absolutely brilliant I'm not 100% certain because I don't know Bill Finnegan or anyone involved with his company, Clon LLC, but I'm 99% sure that none of it was done on purpose. It's all yeah. done through, you know, rumor, first word of mouth, and now online and the internet and forums and stuff like that. And he's just, in some ways, the beneficiary of it because he's the original guy, but also now, of course, he will be losing lots of money to all the other companies who mercilessly clone his pedal and sell it for a lot less money so True. it's a tricky one there was another kind of semi-amusing part of the live stream where he talked about the person he doesn't name the person but the person who is selling the 002 serial number clone centaur for five hundred thousand dollars and he tells the story <laughs> about how actually 002 was the very first one built he built a batch of 16 originally and that was 002 to 017 so two to 16. Oh. And he made 16 at a time because that was all he could fit on the table space that he had at that time to build pedals. He physically didn't have more room. And he was very poor at the time, so he knew he would have to sell them all to, you know, to pay the bills. But he also knew that he would want to keep 001. So he made that a little bit afterwards. And that's the one that he now has. And the funny oh. thing is that he was kind of criticizing the the massive prices that these pedals sell for and that 002 was being offered at but then a few minutes later <laughs> he opens a box and he has 001 in it and then he says and you know this is this is the original one and i would never sell it i have no reason to sell it or anything like that but hey if anyone wants to come with me with a massive offer i've got some expensive house repairs that need doing so email me and we'll sort something out <laughs> and i was like okay great nice one so if anyone has a spare half a million dollars, <laughs> call Bill Finnegan and buy Clon Centaur 001 so he can fix his wow. house. Yeah. I also feel like he kind of increased the price of the one Josh has now <clears throat> because it's kind of the first one in the sense, like the one that went out for, to the market. It kind of feels like that. So like, because it was the first one built as well. Like he built 001 after. So... 
Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But I mean, he knew what he was doing at the time. And I guess he also could sure. never know that these original serial number pedals would ever become so ridiculously yeah. expensive because, you know, every sane person knows that it's absolute madness. What's what's gone on with those prices? It might sound like yeah. I'm making a bit of fun of this live stream and I, I'm kind of laughing with it in a way, but I'm really, you know, I say everything I say with the the utmost respect. You know, I love my... Clon Centaur homage pedals. I, I love the circuit. I love everything mm. about it. I love the mystery and the mystique. I love the online discussion and videos and everything that goes on around this pedal. And it was just, it was kind of funny watching the live stream, but obviously I wish Bill Finnegan all the best with everything that he's doing. And I hope that people don't turn against him because he's having to change the clipping diodes and the new Clon KTR. And I hope that he gets to carry on, you know, making a decent living from actually selling this pedal because. He's one of the few yeah. people in the last few decades who's come up with what is a decent semi-original overdrive pedal design, you know? There aren't many, but the Clon yeah. Centaur is pretty much in its own category. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Re really interesting stuff. Like, uh, I'm, I think I've owned a couple of different, like, Clon Centaur-type pedals one of which was, I think, fairly close, like design-wise as well, from what I've known. Like, I, the one I had, I didn't actually like realize at first that that goes for the Clone Center sound until like somebody told me, hey, yeah, that's like a Clone Center type of thing. I was like, oh, really? So this is, this is what it's about. And I like that yeah. a lot, just didn't quite know how to use it at that point. Like with the yeah, I think I but most for. people seem to use it in a way that you would use your pure sky pedal and the pure sky yeah. is more like a, a timmy pedal but it's kind of like as a clean push it just thickens up your original tone and gives you a little bit more of what you had while retaining the character of your guitar an amp's tone so it's one of these mythical transparent overdrives that people get so excited about including me and i think that yeah, pedals like that are great, but there are other ways to use them. And in this live stream last night, Bill Finnegan had all of his clone pedals on 100% full-on gain the whole time. So there you go. <laughs> That's how he uses them. Yeah. Now we know. And people That's do also say that them. with the clone pedal, with the clone circuit, you need to have the gain up past two or three o'clock all the way to full to take advantage of those magical clipping diodes as well. Because if you just use mm. it as a clean push and the gain is down, they don't even get activated in the signal. I think I've seen a JHS video where Josh Scott explains that. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. We are going to throw a link to the live stream in the description of this show as well, if you want to check it out. So, like... This got me curious. I guess I'll, have to, I'll end up watching it later today, actually. Yeah, it's not going to take that much too, of your time. It's Because, you know, it's true. a 35-minute video. The first 10 minutes are a black screen. He talks a little <laughs> bit. They play a little bit. It's interesting. It's um, fascinating to hear these kind of live thoughts unedited from one of these figures in yeah. the industry without seeing his face. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Maybe he looks like, maybe he is a centaur. Maybe that's why he never shows his face. Mm. He's half horse, half man. This whole time he was trying to tell 
people that he's sent or maybe there's like hidden messages inside the pedals or something the original pedal was a cry for help that was it help me (laughs) i have the body of a horse i want to go shopping with my family but i can't as well because animals are not allowed in the mall yeah poor guy yeah yeah exactly well (laughs) i did not say this this segment ending this way but We'll roll with it. Uh, next, we're going to introduce a completely new segment. Let's do it like this. Uh, we wanted to bring some more personal touch to this show. And this week, I'm going to talk about an album that really, really influenced me in a new segment called... Like plastic on a CD shelf, these are the albums of our lives. Wow, (laughs) this was was first time Rich seeing that intro thing, and also like I don't know why I went with this, but like I'm referencing Days of Our Lives, so so a show nobody under thirty has probably ever seen or heard of, (laughs) or maybe it's still running. Who knows? Bold and the Beautiful are running for like forty years now or something. Feels like that at least. But yeah, there's that, Uh, and yeah, but. The idea is very simple. Each of us will take turns weekly and talk about an album that has been huge for us. And I'm going to start with this one. Let's put it on camera. This, first of all, the album is uh, Once by Nightwish, which is this Finnish symphonic operatic band. And right away, I have to mention that this CD is not a real... uh, Nightwish CD. This was bought from Russia, <laughs> so it's a pirated version of the whole. <laughs> this came out in 2004, so I was 15, 16, some... What was that at the time? No, 2004, I was... I'm gonna say I was like maybe 15 or so. So, I didn't have the money, like, we, we did our, like, annual trip to Russia with my family, and... Being the poor kid I was, this is the only one I could afford. <laughs> Doesn't have, have like any proper booklets inside and it's like that. And uh, there is like a CD cover going on at least here. Or like it's not like it, just, it doesn't say like CD R W and it's like that. But it's still like uh, a very Russian thing to have. I think I have might have bought like a some sort of special edition of that album as well. But this is the only one that I found in my CD shelf right now. So we'll just went with that one. But uh, this album was such a huge thing for me. It's like still one of my favorite albums. But this album was actually, it was released in June 2004. And yeah, for those who don't know Nightwish, it's uh, th- that band... I want to say kind of created the whole heavy metal symphonic thing with like a classically trained, sing- trained singer because this singer at the time, Tarja Turun, was like an opera singer. And Nightwish was one of the first, if not the first, to do that. And it was really unique at the time. And this album, to me, this feels like the pinnacle of songwriting because they combined all of the heavy metal elements all the classical elements and kind of at this point they had two amazing singers as well because Marco Hietala is also the bass player of the band is also a ridiculously good singer like 
all of those elements come together to form one amazing album. The songwriting is top-notch. And yeah, one of my favorite albums ever. And just, I, I still remember like where I was sitting in my aunt's room in Russia, in one of the cities near the Finnish border. Uh, we were visiting and I put on headphones and had one of those portable CD players. Remember those? <laughs> they were thing back then. Uh, put Disc it on. And, I had one. Yeah, exactly. And the first song, Dark Chest of Wonders, like the first opening heavy And yeah, the 15-year-old me got chills all over the body. It was just absolutely amazing. And unlike a lot of the albums from my past that I listen to now, like this still holds. This is still so, so good. And I still can listen to the whole album. I remember most of the lyrics for all the songs. I remember most of the riffs for all the songs. And yeah, one of my, I'm going to say this is, Top five, maybe in top three albums ever for me. So, yeah. Are you at in any way familiar with Nightwish? Nope. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I know of them. <laughs> I've heard a few of their songs, some of the biggest hits, but um, sure. it was never really that much of a thing for me because at the point in time when they were... At their biggest, I was not that much into metal and I was certainly not sure how to really kind of... I guess I didn't understand the way they merged the operatic elements with the metal and it was just two things that at that moment I wouldn't listen to separately. So metal and opera and put them together and it doesn't make something better. So I'd never bothered with them. So perhaps you yeah, could recommend that. where I could start with them. Is there a specific song on this album that you would recommend that I and everybody else listens to? Mm, let me think. I'm going to cheat and look at the song listing. Like, if you would start with... Well, Nemo is the, like, probably the biggest hit from this album. But um, I would probably go for the uh, Ghost Love Score. It's one of the, It's one of the longest... Songs and I think that's where the whole operatic thing and everything kind of really, really comes together. So yeah, started with that one. So mm -hmm. not the easy hits, but like the kind of heavier stuff right away. Yeah. Okay, I'll give it a go. Yeah. Just also Did like you uh, I think this wonder, was the first. Yeah. Go ahead. You know when you bought the album from your yeah. Russian pirate people, that you might <laughs> not have got the real album. You could have been listening to it for 15 years, not knowing that you got something different. Yeah, that's true. I probably need to show, like, I'm not going to have that as one of my, like, al albums of my life, but I have a Bon Jovi album, which is called Bon Jovi 2000. <laughs> and it's, like, just a random collection of Bon Jovi songs. And I think they really, like... It's My Life was the huge single at that time. So 2000, 2001, I think somewhere in that vicinity. And yeah, it's just random collection of like Bon Jovi songs. And uh, some of the names of the songs are just like hilariously misspelled on that one. I, I, I'll, I'll like bring it to the next show. Just like remind me to bring show that in the next show. It's so, so good. 
And I, like, I actually need to check because I'm not sure. Like on that album, I think some songs might be wrong, wrongly named as well. But at least with this one, it does have all the songs it's supposed to have. So that's good. Very cool. Isn't it also yeah, weird internet... to think that there will be some younger yeah. people watching this episode who will have no idea what we've talked about when you said CDRW or something like that? You know, yeah. There will be you know younger teenagers even today who have never owned an album on CD. They're more likely to have a, a piece of vinyl because that's that's the cool things to collect nowadays. Bizarre, isn't mm. it? Yeah, kind of. There's definitely something of owning like a physical copy. Like this is way more unpractical. Like if I want to go for a run or anything, like I'm not going to have a CD player in my pocket. Or anything like that. But like having a physical version of an album, there's just something really cool about it. Um, I don't know. I'm actually like starting to consider maybe I should start buying like CDs again because a lot of stuff is still available on CDs and it's also a great way to support the artist. And I just need to get a CD player actually. <laughs> That's something that I'm missing <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm kind of, uh, I've been toying with the idea of getting like some sort of CD player and having it like at the back of the office so I could play all of the awesome CDs I have. Uh, let me show it to soul, switch to soul of you. Nope, I wanted to solo me this time. Yeah, like on the back over there, for those who are watching on YouTube, like there's a lot of CDs going on over there. And uh, some of those albums I have over there, like they're not available on Spotify or anywhere else. So it would make a lot of sense to have a CD player and I probably need to get one. But yeah. Yeah. I also have CDs from, you know, like regional bands that I'd seen or in some way been involved with from when I was younger. And those tracks, those artists, those labels, they don't exist on Spotify. So you generally can't mm. find them. You might be lucky and find them on YouTube or something. But yeah, for artists like this, you need a CD player. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Like some of the songs from this album are still like the top hits on a Nightwish Live show as well. <clears throat> so, for example, that Ghost Love Score, I think they still like to end their set with that one. It's like a big operatic epic thing at the very end. I think it's a great song to end the show as well. So, I can yeah. see why it's happening. And I think like Nightwish is also like responsible for a lot of uh, other bands then going into orchestration stuff in their music because they started like this was the first album they had like where they had like a proper orchestra going on as well before it was like keyboards and maybe a little bit of something going on or, or like a choir maybe but this has huge choirs huge orchestra all of that uh, yeah I think they mentioned that the album cost cost nearly two hundred and fifty thousand euros to make. Wow. Uh, actually, like, and if they included the music videos, it was like one million. But then again, Nightwish might be the best selling uh, Finnish band on artist of all time. So I think they had the means, but still, <laughs> two hundred and fifty thousand euros. It's crazy. Yeah, when you think about how modern records are produced, it's probably very rare these days to have a record that costs that much money. Yeah, but definitely. You know, back in the day, bands used to spend so much time in the studio. 
you know, I read quite a lot about, you know, the great rock and roll acts of the 60s and 70s, and they would sometimes spend months in a studio, mm. you know, from the original Beatles albums, which were recorded in half a day or something, through to bands spending <laughs> six months in the studio in the 70s and 80s and stuff. It was insanity. Yeah. But, yeah. And these days we can do a lot of it at home if we want to, with, with great results. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're Metallica, you spend a whole year with a super expensive producer writing the Black Album. Although you might say it was worth it, but still. So, I actually or like Anger, we mentioned... Which you might not yeah. say was worth it. Uh, yeah, but I think most of the expenses went to the th therapist at that session. The and stage, the so. guy who produced the snare drum. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I'm gonna say like with Black Album, I, like I somehow YouTube recommended me. Well, maybe because we had the Kirk Hammett thing as a weekend watch recommendation was last week, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> yeah. I got a YouTube recommendation, like a mini documentary about the Black Album, and yeah. Kind of feel it was worth it. It like it pushed them to a new, new new kind of heights. I'd say songwriting wise. So sometimes that's gonna be good, but then you hear all the stories like some band works on an album for ages and ages, and when it finally comes out, it's like yeah, maybe maybe you should have taken less time to put this out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's that. back in the day when the Black <clears throat> Album was done, that was the way that bands did it more often and. It was mm. normal to spend time in the studio and, you know, the concept of, for example, if we wanted to do a song together, we could just do it. We'd send things backwards and forwards through the magic of the mm. internet and you'd be able to produce it to a, you know, basically a professional standard. Even I'd be able to produce it to a fairly decent standard using plugins and using tuition videos from YouTube and stuff like that. And back yep. in the day, that wasn't the case. You you had to go to places to get the best equipment, to get the best people behind you, to get the best sound, and to hone your sound as well. It was a totally different era. It's yeah, it's one which I would quite like to have lived in in a way. But on the other hand, being able to produce music at home now for such a small price to such high quality levels, I think that's that's the way to go. Yeah, but of course, I, back then as I well, that was the era when bands yeah. sold a lot of records and made money off <clears> records as well, so they could afford to get big advances and spend that in the studio and then recoup it through massive tours and massive sales of albums, which these days bands don't have the luxury of. Yeah, definitely. But then again, like I personally don't think uh, I would be invited to a studio to do anything like that. And now I can do all the music I want but here in my home studio. So that's pretty amazing as well. So there's like, there's two yeah. sides to that, definitely. And like, also like smaller artists can actually like break through because they can do everything completely independently or work, work remotely with someone as well. So that's really cool. Yeah. And for example, like there's a big, big music release, like per personally for me, like the, a big music release coming where, which I was involved in. Uh, I think, the release date is next month sometime. I don't remember exactly when it was, but like I was producing that EP and like a lot of, all of the vocals are tracked here in my studio and a bunch of other stuff is tracked here in my studio. And yeah, I was one of the producers of that whole six song EP. And 
even like five, six, seven years ago, that wouldn't have been possible to do it this way. We would have had to go to a studio and pay someone. Now we did it here. And then there was a guy, another guy who did parts of that in his studio as well. And it sounds really, really good, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But more of that later when it's out. And yeah, that was my album of lifetime. What was it? <laughs> Albums of our life. That, that's the name of this segment. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Somebody is going to need a second cup of coffee a bit later today. But next thing we want to do is to dive into some of your questions and comments. And I, again, clicked the wrong button. One of these days. One of these days. Questions and comments. All right. Let's do it. Question number one comes from, oh, shoot, it's too small. To, <laughs> the text is too small to read. Let me zoom in. Yeah, <laughs> ABC, ABC on the Ibanez AZHH versus HSS guitars uh, with Tom Quayle. So that's from 42 Geek Street, the four, first one. So two years ago, three years ago. How does time work? The comment is, is uh, Tom Quayle is definitely cuter than Martin Miller. <laughs> That's a hot take. I reckon when ABC, this... ABC is Tom Quayle's secret second account. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's like, that's such a vague and anonymous nickname that could be him. Is, that, is yeah. this what Tom is doing in his spare time? <laughs> yep, that's what he's reduced to. He's going around random guitar videos of himself saying that he's definitely cuter than Martin Miller. And I don't know Tell if that's true. I'm watching, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is really funny, though. <laughs> I like the idea of doing that. <laughs> uh, we both know bo- both of these people, so... Uh, I kind of feel it's better that we don't, don't say, like we don't take sides. Or does each one t- of us take one side, and then we'll see if there will be like some sort of epic fight at NAM twenty twenty two between four of us? Um, no, I don't wish to take sides. <laughs> you can if you want, yeah, but I can't choose. They're both like you know handsome young men, both with excellent guitar skills. I guess I will oh, say yes. that maybe Martin wins because of his beautiful vocal capabilities. I'm not sure Tom mm. sings. Or if not he does, sure. not on camera. Not on camera, at least. But maybe yeah, he's an amazing w- singer. Yeah. In terms of cuteness, I mean, if it's about conversation and the way of presenting a video, I would pick Tom Quayle because he's a great talker. Sure, he's just listening to him to to, to have yeah. a beer with, to hang out on a romantic evening at a cafe or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know definitely. where I'm going with this, to be honest. Yeah, I, I was just waiting where it's going to go next. But yeah, I have to have to agree. Like, uh, if I'm going for a jam session, I'd probably pick Martin Miller because he can he can sing so many different styles. But yeah, if also I if you go with Martin Miller. You would actually be yes. able to recognize what he's playing on the guitar because he plays in standard That's tuning. That's true. Whereas Tom Pale, Tom well. Pale, Tom Quayle plays in perfect <laughs> fourths, right? He plays in a weird <laughs> tuning. 
which is a cute concept in itself, but very difficult for that everybody else. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, was what I was trying to say was that uh, like Tom's voice calms me down. So yes, I have to agree. Like if you're mm. going out for coffee or anything like that, like just hang out with friends and have a beer. Like he's very pleasant to listen to. Not that Martin is in any way annoying or anything like that, but Tom has that, I guess, baritone. So like kind of lower and calming, and then there's the British accent as well. And like. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I like that. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> should, should we move on to the next one? By the way, did you answer that comment? What did, what did you tell ABC? Uh, no, ABC? I haven't. No, wait. I think I, I did. I think I, the only thing that I replied was like, that's, uh, I don't know, something about like, that's a controversial take. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so, yes. There's that. Leave your comments uh, down right. below if you think Tom Quayle or Martin Miller is cuter. Yes. I, I don't think you can do polls anymore on YouTube, but if you could, that, that's the question we would ask next. All right. <laughs> Moving on to the next one. G-Man 44044. In what order do octave pedals fit in a pedal board or on a pedal board, I guess? Uh -huh. What would you say? Where would you place your octave pedal? It would depend. But um, for me personally, I would stick it after all the drivey stuff and before oh. all the time-based stuff. Or I would stick it even before the drive pedals. It depends. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer to that, is there? Because it really depends what you want to do with it. Mm. Where would you put yeah, yours? I was I was about to say, like, uh, I think I actually replied to him and said that, or to this person, like, I would probably place it as the first thing on the board, just because uh, that way, first of all, it will track better because you're not setting, like, overdriven signal into it. That's no. at least, like, a general rule. And also, like, I like I like the idea of distorting the octave sound as well with the drive pedals and such. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, I have one, kind of. I have the digital drop, and it's the first thing after my like input buffer switcher thing on the pedal board, and then it goes through all the drive pedals and such. Because, yeah, it, like, yeah, that's so actually, where it tracks the best. Yeah, I think in terms of the standard answer, we would <laughs> say pretty much first. Um, there are some fuzz pedals which like to go before everything else but that's kind of a bit niche and sure. there are, people always talk about things like compressors should they go right at the front wire pedals should it go before or after a wire pedal but whenever someone asks me about effects pedal order when it's not a totally standard thing so it's like you know delay or drive or whatever although this even applies here just experiment and see what you think sounds best yeah because there are different sounds that work for everybody yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things I replied was also that like you could get really, really cool, a bit more experimental sounds when you place the octave pedal after the drives, or maybe even after all the delays and everything like that. And then you would act like because uh, the video we're talking about was uh, a more octave pedal, and you could add both lower octaves and higher octaves on that. 
and you can run all of those simultaneously. Actually, I think when you ran both like low octave and high octave, there's a little bit of latency between all the three. So the dry sound and the two octave things, you could create something really, really cool with that when you like put in delays there as well. And stuff yeah, like, like that. super so, cool, glitchy atmospheric effects. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's also a case of what this person, what's his name or her name? G-Man. I'm going to say it's him. Depends what sound they want to make. <laughs> You know, if you're just going for yeah. garage rock or something, stick it before <clears> a drive pedal, or maybe after, depending on what your fuzz is, and you're good. Yep. Yep. But that's our recommendation, and links to this video and like everything else in the show notes as well. Moving on to question number three, which is from Neil Aspinall, again a long time friend of the channel, and he's commenting on the could Telecaster replace all your other electric guitars video that was released recently by the way that's a video that kind of nearly broke me with the amount of work tracking six songs with the telly mixing all of that editing all of that but it's out now so that's good anyway uh he mentions that i came to telecasters later in life and i'm happy for it i think telly su telly suffer the reputation of being associated traditionally with the CAW, so country and worship? Western, I, don't know, country, I guess. Western, yeah. Was, yeah, makes world. The truth is, uh, telebridge pickups are usually more rounded than the strat bridge pickups, which is brighter. In fact, many people, including I, ignorantly think that tellies are not rock machines. Question mark. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to prove in that video. Like, Tellys are incredibly versatile, and I was actually one of those people who used to hate tellys because I thought they looked ugly, and you could only use them for country music. And oh boy, how my world has turned around since that, that time. And yeah. Yeah. My favorite guitar is a telly, for good reason. The telly can do yeah. everything. It, it is, for me, a guitar yeah. that I can play literally every style of music on it that I personally wish to play. You know, sometimes I'll pick up the Les Paul because I want the humbucker sound, but you can do basically everything, including metal with a telly. Also, what's wrong with country and western, you know? Some of the best guitarists <laughs> out there today and from the 40s, 50s onwards have been Nashville players, have been country players. And, yeah. you know, some of the biggest guitar heroes for me personally today are people like Brad Paisley who are playing Telecaster-type guitars and using all that country twang, <clears> and they're just, they're so good. Give me that over shred any day of the week yeah. but yeah I, Neil I'm is also right because Telecasters yes. are a little bit typecast in a way and Strats are not and I totally agree that I find a Tele bridge pickup it cuts you know it's it's bright mm. but a Strat bridge pickup if you don't tame it is far less usable for me personally you know I know yeah. tone is a taste thing and everybody thinks about it differently but I'm 100% agreeing with Neil there yeah Definitely, it's like uh, I, I, I'm gonna say punk rock or like pop punk wave in like early two thousand, like late nineties, early two thousands, especially. Probably did a lot of good for tellies because a lot of those bands. I remember like seeing Sum Forty One and Blink One Eighty Two and any other punk band with some sort of like uh, numbers at the end of their name. Uh, like a lot of those guys play tellies. And I think like that's what, that was the first time I was like started to think, okay, maybe this is not just a country thing. And obviously, then with YouTube, 
people lose all kinds of guitars. But yeah, and I mean, I yeah. personally, I love indie music as well, and mm. the Telecaster is a massive guitar in the world of indie. Yeah. Similarly mm. to Fender Offsets. I mean, Strats, you do see in indie as well, but for me personally, it's... It's the telly, and I used to see so many great bands when I was younger in the punk and indie worlds using tellies, and that is what drew me towards them. Hmm. Yep. All right, moving on to the last question, or more specifically, a comment. Living Room Gear Demo says, Ah, the good old adjusting pedal knobs with your toes. <laughs> we all do it. Yep, true. In this video, I adjust my pedals with my toes because I'm lazy and... Like try to reach my pedal board with my hands while also having a guitar in my lap. Nope. Ain't gonna happen. I have my feet. I can <laughs> use them. <laughs> Why not? <clears throat> I don't agree. <laughs> I don't So you do don't it. do that. I mean no, I don't think so. No. I use my hands because I can. I'm not really someone who <laughs> turns the knobs that much once I've found the settings that I like. Yeah. You know? So I've got pedals where I'll spend some time dialing them in with my hands. When they're new, I'll find the sound that I like and then I'm I'm good. And I use my foot to turn them on and off, of course, but I don't twiddle the knobs with my foot. Because why? I was always really scared yeah. when seeing Stephen Wilson play live and messing around with his pedal board because he's barefoot on stage. And I'm just thinking, Oh, that's true. I number one, that. you're probably going to bleed all over your board at some point. And number two, hygiene. <laughs> but we all have our personal choices, don't we? That's true. Maybe he has someone with like a spray bottle that disinfects the whole pedal board after every show or something like that. I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It's like one of, the, one of the reasons I do that every now and then is that when I sit here in front of the desk, like a lot of the time when I'm recording, I'm hearing my guitar from these monitors over here and the pedal board is underneath the desk right over here and leaning there and tweaking the knobs while I'm also trying to listen to the sound coming from the speakers. Like it doesn't work really. Like I need to be able to hear properly. Like if, if I'm underneath the table, it really affects how I perceive the sound. I would probably like turn the treble way too high or anything like that. So... That's why I sometimes yeah, use my feet to adjust the pedals. Yeah. I usually I mean, don't do that acceptable. on camera, though. This was one rare exception. Yeah, I'll give it to you and Eirik. I'll, I'll let you do it. I'll say it's okay. But Thank yeah, for you. me personally, I have a setup where I'm often sat and I have kind of, you know, one of those boards that you can display pedals with. So it's kind of almost vertical. Yeah. Hang on. Let me just fetch one. <laughs> Rich just went to get a pedal and he'll be back. Right, something now. like this, one of these vertical um, oh, yeah. Marcus Deluxe boards. And I can stick a pedal in it like this. No Velcro on this one, so it's not going to stick real hard. This is a New X Horseman, by the way, which is a Clon Centaur homage slash oh, copy or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, oh, it's so hard to line up a, a product with a camera when you're kind of mirrored and stupid like I am. Yep. But yeah, this is what I generally have. And it, it means that I'll set this up kind of almost at eye level for me if I can with with cabling and that's the way I would do it. Also with mini pedals like this, good luck trying to turn one of these knobs with your foot and not turn the rest at the same time. <laughs> that is really tricky. 
Yeah, having on that pedal, I completely agree. So, yeah. It's a good pedal, there by the way. Also, you can buy some pedals and you can buy some kind of pedal knob plastic things that are deliberately built mm. to be operated with the foot, I think. So that is also an option. Yeah, I've seen buy. a lot of those in the worship scene. They also have those like bigger, colorful things they put on the foot switch itself. And then... Yeah, then exactly. Those That's what I'm talking about. But, but yeah, the, the new X-Horseman, Clon Centaur clone, and as you were saying, Vlad, a very good pedal. Very affordable. Yeah. Very well built. Has two different Clon Centaur circuits in it, the gold and the silver ones. And I think we both have videos about that pedal. We actually do. So if you guys want to watch them and hear how this one sounds, I guess you're obligated to put the links in down in the description now. So yes, more work Uh, for you. I have like we mentioned so many links here that I probably need to rewatch the whole show to remember all of them. (laughs) But that's part of the job. So I'm more than happy to do it. And yeah, time to dive into the last thing in this show. Again, I'm failing with the switching one of these days. One of these days. Yeah, jumping to a, uh, everyone's favorite segment for the weekend, the weekend watch. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, video. It's not like you have anything else to do. Yeah, this week's weekend watch is, <laughs> I'm going to call this Rigbiado <laughs> in the void, because the, like, the I love pop punk. I love what they're playing. Like it's Rick Beato's top twenty pop punk songs of the nineties. Love the content itself. Like I didn't actually know all of these songs, so this was also really cool. Probably need to like dive into this list a bit more in depth and create a playlist for myself or anything like that. But <laughs> why are are they in a white void somewhere? <laughs> and it also doesn't <laughs> look like green screen. It looks just like I don't know. It's very weird. They're definitely they're in a white, white room. room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great. And also something to note, Rick is playing his signature Gibson here, which is apparently coming out very soon if it's yes. not out already. Yeah, and, and it looks great and sounds great. All of the clips that yeah. they play sound fantastic. And Chip, the guy on the right there doing the singing, he's an amazing singer. I'd never heard of his band, Left Front Tire, but I'd seen American Pie 2 many years ago, so I guess I'd heard them before, but he does all these different singers, and he does some pretty good impressions of some of them as well. Really, really good. Yeah. So if you like punk or pop punk and want to discover some more bands, because, you know, if you weren't around in the 90s, you might not know many of these, definitely worth a watch. This was a really fun video, and you can also see that both the guys are having a lot of fun doing it. You know, when they do their little mm. scripty bits and when they play, they're really enjoying themselves. I think punk and pop punk are really, really fun genres to play because they're so simple and yeah. you just get to bash it out with full-on energy and just give it everything. So, yeah, great video. Yeah, it's, um, I've already watched it. I'll watch it again this weekend probably and go through Spotify and listen to some of these songs in full length because yeah, I didn't know them all yeah, either. Okay. Yeah, I need to dive into a lot of those bands because I, like somehow pop punk has uh, become... I don't know, over the past year or so, I've started started to like dive into all of the Spotify like pop punk playlists. But I don't enjoy playlists that much. I'd rather listen to either like top list of a band or just albums of those bands. So yeah, this is yeah. a great way to discover a bunch of those. Also something to note, uh, Chip, what's his name, right? 
Uh, Chip, I think he has uh, a mes- Dullard. Is it Dullard? Is that a real name? I don't know. Chip. His name is Chip. <laughs> Let's go with Dillard. Chip. Dillard uh, means boring. Yeah. So, yeah. Chip Dillard. Yeah. The other guy. He's playing a... Yeah, he looks like he's playing a Mesa Dual Rectifier in this video. I'm going to guess it's that one. And then, like, yeah. some sort of park 4x12 cabinet. And Rick is playing some sort of Marshall... I'd say probably JCM 800, maybe. Yeah, it's I think be lots loud of in that bands room. played Mezzas, didn't they? I yeah. mean, bands like Blink-182, who came in the mm. 2000s, at least got more famous in the 2000s, <clears throat> they had that really saturated, really juicy sort of a palm muting sound, and I think a lot of that was down to the amplifier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's like... Dual Rectify is so associated with like a new metal sound, but it could do so much more as well, including yeah. like really cool pop punk sounds because like the stuff they're playing here sounds really good. So, yeah, it all sounds great. I mean, of course, you do have Rick Beato, who is a top, top producer, making it sound even better afterwards. But I reckon that they probably only had to play all of these songs once through, and the vocals and the guitar playing on both was spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I would guess as well. But yeah, it's it's a yeah. fun watch, and uh, we'll keep an eye out on the Rick Beato signature Gibsons. Maybe somebody will get one and post a review or anything like that, and we'll let you know. We'll keep an eye out on those. Well, I think it was a limited run as well, right? Do you know if it's actually released yet, or if there is a release date? Because I would definitely love uh, to at least try one if I can. They look fantastic, and they mm. look like, for me personally, they have almost everything I would want from a Gibson guitar, price dependent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember him saying in one video that it's about to come out soon, but that was, I think it was a few weeks ago, so it might be out. He doesn't really post a lot about that on his YouTube channel, but I think I saw something on Instagram. Uh, not sure. Need to check. Because, yeah, I have to agree. I would love to throw one out. I don't know if any of these guitars will make it to Europe let alone Finland, so we'll see. They surely will. And I think with Rick Beato, you know, he has mm. more than two and a half million YouTube subscribers. I think if they make it in limited numbers, they're probably losing out on making quite a bit of money with those guitars. So for me, it would make total sense yeah. to make more of them. And hey, even if yeah, they don't make it to Europe, let's hope that we get to go to the NAM show <laughs> where it will be there for us to test out and give our own opinions on it there. That is true. Yeah. Again, links to the video in the show notes. And that wraps up Cat Pick Friday's episode 28. Had to cheat once again because I never remember the episode names. One of these days, I also start stop talking about the episode uh, numbers. But today was not the day. Thank you, Rich, once again for joining me on this epic quest of podcasting. <laughs> Thank you. Glad. And yeah, links and notes and everything in the show notes. And yeah, if you want to support what we do, please consider hitting the like button, hitting the subscribe button, checking out Rich's channel, using the affiliate links, getting the songwriting course. And I I want to say I covered all. If I didn't, then I didn't. You can find everything in the notes. Thank you so much for watching and listening and also bye podcast. Bye podcast.